Hey everybody, it's me Jade, and I'm glad to welcome you to the new season of On Their Way. So much has happened in WGC land since the last time we talked, so let me give you a quick rundown. One, we launched a Patreon to help us become more sustainable. Two, we wrapped recording for a new project that'll launch in early 2022. And three, we released our very first audio drama, Retribution, a miniseries, back in June. It was a delight to make and release, and it spurred me to dedicate this season of On Their Way to all the creators in the audio drama field. Our first episode, the one you've got on right now, this one is all about Trevor Van Winkle, who is the creator of the production company, Homestead on the Corner, and the mind behind the Sheridan tapes and tells the Echo Ward. And we have a treat for you. In a few seconds, this music's going to fade out, and the trailer for Trevor's latest show, Tells the Echo Ward, will fade in. But before that, I want to remind you that transcripts can be found at our website, wgcproductions.com. And I want you to remember that this is a WGC production. Ash and oak and iron and thorn, stone and ruin and land forlorn, last thin chance of vain hope born, heed thee now my call. Waste and want and fallen leaf, broken branch and desperate thief, famine Fire, grant relief. Heed thee now, my call. Sun and stars and hearth fires cold. Dragons, giants, gods of old. By thy power, make me bold. Heed thee now, my call. Heavens high and caverns deep, castle, ruin, broken keep, ancient power I now reap, heed thee now my call. All that was and may yet be, all I know and cannot see, desperate words now set I free, heed thee now my call. You, who walk the woods at night. You, with vision more than sight. You, who may set worlds to right. Heed thee now, my call. Homestead on the Corner presents Tales of the Echo Wood, a ten-part fantasy miniseries from the creators of The Sheridan Tapes. Starring Sam Taylor as Grail, with original music by Jesse Hagen. Help us bring this project to life and get great rewards by supporting our Kickstarter at echowoodpod.com. Episode 1 premieres August 2021 on all podcasting platforms. Follow us at echowoodpod on Twitter and Instagram for news and updates, and visit echowoodpod.com for more information and additional content. I'm Trevor Van Winkle, this is Homestead on the Corner, and you're listening to Tales of the Echo Wood. Trevor Van Winkle has been telling stories for as long as he can remember. Raised in Southern Oregon, he was instilled with a love of books, film, and music from a young age, producing short films with his friends and family members throughout middle and high school before attending Biola University, where he majored in cinema and media arts with an emphasis in production. 
Shortly after graduation, they moved to Mammoth Lakes, California, and self-published their first novel, The Graceland Tales, then began producing Homestead on the Corner in 2019 with the help of actors from the local theater community. Following the beginning of the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic, he created the spinoff series The Sheridan Tapes largely as a way to keep himself and the other members of the Homestead team busy during lockdown. Hey there, Trevor. It's wonderful to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jade. How are you? I'm also doing quite well. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to hop into this with the first question that I ask everybody who goes on this show. Where are you from and where are your roots? Yeah, but I think it's kind of the same answer for both questions. Um, pretty much born and raised here in uh, Medford, Oregon, uh, Southern Oregon area. Kind of was a smaller town for a while, has definitely grown in the you know decades since. And currently I'm back there. You know, I was living in Mammoth Lakes for a while, working in the local theater community. Um, but obviously that was heavily impacted by COVID and I ended up moving back here just for a little while to kind of, you know, get my feet back under me and keep doing what I'm doing with uh, the podcast. Mm. And could you just sort of explain to me and my audience what exactly it is that you do when it comes to podcasting? Yeah, uh, I'm an independent writer, creator, producer. My first show was a show called Homestead on the Corner, which was sort of a mix of writing lessons and standalone interconnected short stories that I kind of did as a way to kind of test the waters with audio drama and fiction, see what I liked there. And then uh, when the pandemic started, uh, we I couldn't really bring people into my you know, recording studio, which is just my apartment, um, safely at that time. So we switched the format up, went to an you know, kind of ongoing serialized story um, that was more of a found footage style. So everyone could record in their own homes over Zoom and, you know, safe that way. And uh, yeah, that was a show called The Sheridan Tapes, um, which is now just wrapped up its second season, um, has been a huge success. I'm so happy with how it's turned out and the reception it's had. And we're currently launching a new show called Tales of the Echo Wood on Kickstarter. And by the time this comes out, this should it should be uh, into the first couple of episodes released of that. So really excited for that. Okay. So you said a lot right there. And we're going to get into yes, I know, a I bunch know. of different stuff that you just said. <laughs> okay. So let's start with like the first big thing that stood out to me. So what exactly spurred you to start your own production company? Because like that's a big step. So like what made you think this is what I want to do? And then once you decided that, how did you go about creating it business-wise? Basically, when I was in middle and high school, like I said in my bio, I made a whole bunch of short films and film projects with my friends and, you know, family members. Uh, in college, I did productions as, you know, a film student. That's something I've always kind of loved to do, the creative production side, along with the writing. Towards the end of college, I started writing my first book, The Graceland Tales, um, self-published that learned a lot from that experience. I'm proud of how it turned out, but it wasn't exactly what I, you know, love to do necessarily. Um, it didn't turn out, you know, quite the way I wanted it to in the end. Um, but that kind of spurred me to be like, I want to get back into the creative production side. I've made all these connections with actors in the local theater community with a whole bunch of people I really enjoy working with. And around that same time, um, one of my best friends, uh, Amitola Lomas, who plays Maria Soul on the Sheridan tapes and a whole bunch of other roles um, in Homestead on the Corner, uh, she introduced me to, first off, The Bridge, which is an independent podcast run by uh, Alex Brown and Rebecca Mahoney, uh, and then Wolf 359, which everyone knows, Gabriella Bina, uh, Gabriella Bina's space epic, basically. Um, I kind of fell in love with the medium through those shows and a whole bunch of other ones I listened to around that same time. So I was really excited about the medium, really excited about how open and accessible it was and how the kinds of stories you could tell with basically no budget if you were willing to put the time into getting the good performances, building the soundscapes, you know, just doing solid production work, which is was a skill set I'd already developed through my film production work. So it was kind of mashing those two together, the writing side and the you know production side in a way that gave me a lot of creative freedom that you don't necessarily get when doing like independent short films. You know, you can do bigger things now with the technology available, but mm -hmm. it's still limited by, you know, I'm not made of money. I can't, you know, build gigantic sets and vast sprawling worlds and kind of tell the stories I want to tell in a visual medium. But through audio, it's a lot easier to do that a lot you know less expensive to build those worlds and you're able to use you know the same kind of 
relying on the audience's imagination that you do have in um, writing prose, um, but having it in a creative production that you can hear and experience in real time. So yeah, that's kind of how that started. And then from a a business side, it kind of became a business by accident. Um, I was doing it kind of for fun, doing it as kind of a way to creatively tell stories with my friends. And then it's like, okay, we, people are liking this. Uh, let's start a Patreon and see how that goes. You know, let's start reaching out to advertisers. Um, it's still very kind of, in terms of the business side, it is very much kind of, it's just a sole proprietor, proprietorship kind of, you know, independent, um, you know, self-employed mm-hmm. type thing. But um, that's kind of how that started. And we've, you know, slowly amassed support through that. And I do want to turn this into my full time. Well, in terms of hours, it kind of is my full-time job, even though it doesn't pay like one quite yet. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure, yeah, every, anyone involved in creative production understands that. Yeah. <laughs> but it is growing. We are, you know, getting advertisers now. We switched platforms over to Acast for the Sheridan Tapes, um, which has had a lot more support than our original platform did. And so, yeah, we're, we're building it, trying to get it to the point where it can support itself. And we're pretty close to that point. But Kickstarter is really supposed to help with getting there for at least uh, Tales of the Echo Wood and, you know, our future projects potentially. Mm. And to just sort of continue down on this business, on this business vein, I'm going to get to two things. I'm going to get to your Patreon strategy, but we're going to start with the Kickstarter for Tales of the Echo Wood because that's going on as we record it right now. It'll be over by the time this episode comes out though. But when it comes to that Kickstarting process, well, you're trying to raise, if I remember correctly, $3,000 for your show. One. Yeah. How did you determine that that was the number that you needed to, to create your show? And then two, how did you and the and the team sort of go about creating this Kickstarter and, and what methods do you take to promote it? Because you're almost there. You're at 70 percent from last I saw. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're getting close. It, you know, definitely a slow down since the first week, but that's just the way Kickstarter generally goes. So, yeah, um, that number was reached. We basically I built out a whole variable budget at all kinds of different levels to what we could do if we raised certain amounts of money and where would be kind of our ideal zones to, you know, to make this thing happen. Um, a lot of that was based on the um, payment for our amazing composer, Jesse Hagen, um, who's done all a lot of the music for our homestead on the corner and all the music for the Sheridan tapes. He's a full on professional composer for film, television and internet projects down in LA. So he is very much a professional professional in this field. So, you know, he's the one generally gets paid the most out of our team, um, but he absolutely deserves it because his music makes the show in every case. Mm. But a lot of that was based on, okay, he sent us a, you know, a full list of if you, this, this is what I can do for this amount of money, this amount of money, this amount of money, and this amount of money. And we kind of laid that out on a, you know, spreadsheet along with what we want to pay our actors and what we want to pay, you know, our crew and, you know, what, you know, additional fees we would have for hiring live musicians, for getting, you know, stock sound effects and things like that we'd need to you know raise the production value i kind of got it like three or four main levels where it's like this is where we can kind this is you know that three thousand dollars is where we can do this without just paying for it out of our own pocket and actually you know giving people you know a decent you know payment for their work here's where it's kind of goldilocks zone where it's like we can do a whole bunch of you know really exciting things here's where we can pay everyone totally what they you know should be paid which is a very high number which is one of our stretch goals but mm-hmm. we built that out and then set it at kind of that lowest goal just because you know kickstarter is all or nothing uh, we didn't want to set it too high and then you know get up to you know that three thousand dollar level and realize oh we can't actually make the show now um because we didn't hit our final goal just because it's our first time doing a kickstarter it's kind of, you know, untested waters for us. So we just set it at that lower level and then have the stretch goals to hopefully push on past that in the final stretch and hopefully get some exciting things going with that. Um, you know, we attach those stretch goals to some bonus episode type things um, that we'd be able to do if we reach them. Uh, and then in terms of developing the rewards and, you know, how we would promote it, um, I did a lot of that work with my co-producer, um, Virginia Spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a lot of research into other successful Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, the main one we kept coming back to is the Kickstarter for Unseen, um, just because it's in a similar vein, um, same kind of genre, not entirely, but similar um, genre. We kind of compared what we were doing to what they were, you know, producing and, you know, the way they ran their Kickstarter and promoted it because they had a massive success with that as as well as other kickstarters and just kind of general advice from kickstarter support and you know people who run those all the time um 
and yeah, just kind of built it out from there, kind of by going back and forth through a couple of iterations and, you know, finally launching it. Okay, that's very interesting. And so that's one part of the of the scenario, because that's just for Tales of Echowood. But you guys also have a Patreon, which is relatively successful. You have 76 patrons. You bring in $281 a month. Like, it's 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 bringing in funding. So I want to, like, how did you go about building that Patreon community and, and um, making that? Yeah, go ahead. Like, our main thing is, basically, we don't have different tiers of our Patreon. It's you could pay what you want for it um, to join in on the community and you get everything that's available on there. Um, we, you know, tried to keep that as open as possible because we know a lot of our listeners are, you know, are young and, you know, they don't have a whole bunch of disposable income to throw around to support creative projects. But if we leave it open at the $1, the $5 a month level to get, you know, everything that they want, then yeah, they'll be able to contribute. They'll want to contribute. Um, so I think that was a you know big key to getting that many patrons um, supporting us. Additionally, it was, you know, a matter of creating value th- for the Patreon. So it's not just, you know, chucking money in and not getting anything out of it. We do, you know, every, all of our episodes go up at least 24 hours early uh, on the Patreon feed for, you know, the people who are really passionate about the story and want to get, you know, access to the episodes first. That's kind of the big draw. We do a kind of a weekly behind the scenes podcast with uh, myself and Virginia, just talking through the episode, what we were excited about in it kind of how the writing process went kind of a, you know, like a weekly behind the scenes sort of feature for every episode, as well as kind of a, a look into how the creative production lifestyle works for us and, you know, what's coming up next kind of as a way to, you know, engage with people directly. We also do um, live streams on there, you know, kind of AMA live listen party type things. We try not to burn ourselves out by, you know, put out things, you know, every single day on Patreon, which is kind of what I tried at the start. And that was just too much on top of everything else I was doing. But we do try to make sure we are providing value and making sure that's a thing that people want to contribute to um, in a way that feels, you know, good for us and, you know, gives people uh, enough incentive to support the show uh, beyond just the desire to see the show keep coming um, out every week. And I actually want to talk to you about those live listening parties, because I thought that was a really interesting and novel idea. How did you and Virginia come up with that? And like, how do you go about creating those and making them engaging for the audience? Yeah, I'm trying to remember where the idea initially came from, because it feels like we've been doing them sort of forever. I think it initially started kind of during our um, hiatus period between seasons one and two, we were trying to think of ways to keep people engaged. We'd been doing like basic AMA live streams, just me on camera answering questions about the show to people who, you know, logged on, um, which was, you know, reasonably engaging. Um, and then we're kind of like, okay, we're getting into, you know, we're, we're, we're not releasing any episodes currently. What can we do on these live streams? And I think, I think it was Virginia who had the idea of what if we did like a listen to these together kind of thing, like a communal listening experience that's followed up by a, you know, Q and a period. Um, so people can, you know, interact with one another, comment on the episode in real time on the, ch- in the chat and, you know, kind of have that fun of like watching a movie together, except with listening to a podcast together mm-hmm. uh, and then bring them all back together for, you know, questions and answers at the end. I think that's kind of how that got started. Um yeah, and then in terms of making that work, it's you know relatively simple and low key. It's just we create video versions of the episodes we're going to listen to, just with the basic After Effects template um, I have built for that. And then I just use um, OBS op- uh, open broadcast software to stream it onto my YouTube channel as a unlisted uh, live stream and share it out on Patreon. And yeah, just make sure we promote it beforehand through both you know, our Patreon feed and through our, you know, social medias on Twitter, Instagram, um, just to make sure people are aware of it and we'll, you know, log in when it's going. So we aren't just talking to one or two people, you know, it's, you know, we bring as much of the community mm-hmm. into the live stream as possible. Um, again, trying to create that sense of, yeah, community and connection between us, the creators and the people who listen. And I just have one more business question and I, I promise we'll get on to other things. I'm just curious. Um, <laughs> so you also have advertisers. <laughs> you also have advertisers. And so I'm just interested to know, like, when did you know that pursuing advertisers was the right step for you and your team? And then what was the process like for getting your advertiser? And then how do you maintain those relationships? We wanted to get advertising on the show for quite a while, um, just because because the show is so complicated and takes so much time of our li- out of our you know daily lives to make it happen. We pay our actors, we pay our composer, 
we pay for hosting and web services, it can get quite expensive. And, you know, the Patreon really, really does help to cover those kind of hard expenses, but we needed it to grow beyond what a Patreon, you know, could supply um, reasonably. And so we worked for a while trying to get our own advertisers and build our own relationships with them. Um, we were on a, um, a platform called Podbean originally, which worked reasonably well for, up to a point. And then kind of once the Sheridan tapes began to grow, we started having technical issues with them um, in terms of you know server capacity. I don't think they had quite the you know technology that was needed for the number of you know requests they were getting for you know downloads on the Sheridan tapes. Um, and we started experiencing slowdowns and people not being able to download episodes. Um, so about the same time both of those were happening, Acast Open um, became available to, you know, anyone to sign up. We had seen, you know, other podcast networks, namely the Rusty Quill Network, having a lot of success with um, advertisement and developing their own shows on that platform. So during our second kind of mid-season break, we moved the, um, the podcast over to that platform and signed up for their advertising program, which... It works a bit differently than it does when you're approaching specific advertisers. Acast has a whole team working to build relationships with advertisers and kind of across their entire network, um, apply ads that are relevant to the shows based on their demographics, based on the type of show it is. Um, And so we've been working with them for the past couple of months now, and they kind of handle the advertising side, which is honestly really great for us neither myself nor virginia are really business people quote unquote we tried you know approaching advertisers directly virginia tried to take that role over and it kind of just made her miserable mm-hmm. and so we've been working with acas in order to have them kind of handle that side of it the ads aren't as tailored as maybe we would want them to be but it is working and we are now we have a source of passive income off of that um which is really going to help us keep the show going and, you know, pay all all of our people and make it feasible financially for all of us to continue to put in, continue to put all the time and energy we are into production. So yeah, that's kind of how we reach that point with uh, advertisement. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I never know what to say when I do these transitions. Anyway, we're going to switch gears. So, Yep, just, just switching gears. Yeah, just, just switching gears. We're going to go into your work with the Sheridan Tapes, which is as of now, like sort of the, the creme de la creme of like cool, like uh, podcasts that came out during COVID. I mean, like it's already reached half a million, view, uh, half a million downloads. Like it's a, it's a big deal. So I just want to like straight up ask, what was the writing process like for the show? Because like the writing really stands out as being like, like when you initially listen to season one, it's like, oh, this is intricate. I'm interested to see how it goes all together. And then like by the end of season one, like it's all clashing together. And then season two, it just continues to like be like this sort of great cacophony of like plots and characters. And so I just want to know like, how was it writing something that was like that complex and that built it up in such a way? Well, basically the writing process started with quite a lot of experimentation. Um, basically right before the COVID pandemic started and everything locked down, um, I was on vacation with my family um, when we kind of got the news that, okay, this is bad. We're locking down. We You need to come home. And I kind of realized just how much would be shifting and changing as a result of that. So I kind of started racking my brain for, okay, if we can't bring people into the studio, if we can't keep doing the short stories we've been doing, if we have to change the format and try something different, what would that be and how could we make that work? And I landed on the idea of a found audio podcast as a way to kind of preserve the level of production value we had while, you know, maybe not having as much control over the recording conditions and technology of our actors. I have been really interested in doing a long form uh, kind of ongoing series with a lot of characters and a lot of intricate plot lines for a while now. Actually, we kind of tried to develop one with, um, uh, again, Amitola Lomas and then another artist um, who we used to work with on uh, Homestead in the Corner. Unfortunately, that kind of fell apart. We all got a little bit too busy before it could actually, you know, come to fruition. But that kind of desire to do more of a serialized story was still stuck in my head. I'd also been developing ideas about some of the characters we featured in some of those short stories, mostly um, the the writer Anna Sheridan, uh, who we introduced in a little standalone horror story called Disquiet, first season of Homestead on the Corner. I had kind of developed like a a mini series idea for, you know, kind of the ongoing adventures of Anna Sheridan, um, you know, that would have her facing off against all kinds of strange and supernatural threats. And, you oh, know, that makes sense. 
yeah, yeah, that was kind of focused specifically on her and just had that, but it just didn't have that structural hook to it that um, I kind of need to get into a story to you know write it, especially for a long form story. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like as I was thinking this through uh, and kind of listening to my old stories, just kind of as a refresher, um, I hit upon the idea of combining her story with the story of Sam Bailey, who is another character we introduced in a standalone kind of piece. And then I kind of hit on this idea of what if Anna's missing and this detective character is searching for her and going through kind of her old records of her experiences with the supernatural. And then I had kind of a structural way into the story that I really liked. Um, I began writing a whole bunch of kind of experimental uh, scripts, just trying out different ideas that I thought might be interesting. I wrote basically the first seven episodes kind of in a white heat of inspiration. Most of them like on the way back from that trip, like when I was in the back of the car, just driving kind of at that point, that's when I slowed down. I'm like, okay, I like where this is going. I've approached all the actors and all the people I want to be a part of this. And they've all said, yes, this sounds really fun. I now need to kind of step back and look at this thing as a whole and figure out where it's going. That took a little while to figure out, figure out kind of what the ultimate direction of this series would be. In fact, you know, the big thing I didn't figure out for a while is what's the answer to the mystery, um, which I know you're (laughs) never supposed to do when writing mystery stories, but that took a while to hit upon. Um, and I obviously I can't talk about that yet because we're only in the second season. But yeah, it's that took a little while. And then kind of figuring out the structural format of it. Eventually, I had a couple of breakthroughs. It's like, oh, OK, this is going to lead to this and this and this. And it really was like for that first season, very organic and kind of <laughs> laying the track down as the train was racing down the hill. But I was really proud of how it came together in the end. There were, you know, a lot of plot ideas like who Sam Bailey was, what his history was. You know, I had a lot of those ideas in place before, but they, you know, morphed and evolved. The roles of the other characters um, in the story definitely grew from what I kind of initially conceived of them as, as the actors came in and brought them to life and brought new elements. And yeah, it kind of grew and evolved from there. An episode that really kind of solidified what kind of series this was going to be, though, was uh, the first episode I wrote after that kind of initial run of, you know, those experimental scripts was over, which was uh, episode eight which I can't, now I can't remember the title of because I named them that's quite obtusely. Yeah, that's still our, yes. That was the one that really kind of solidified, okay, this is the kind of horror story we're telling. This is the kind of, you know, emotional tone we're going for. And then everything kind of evolved out of that. New characters were introduced, new ideas came in, um, new layers and complexities came in. But yeah, I was really, really proud as well of how that, you know, first season came together, like starts out with all these kind of strange, not really connected at all stories that, you know, are like, kind of out there and we and then they slowly all interconnect and then pull like down and into this climax i was really really happy with how it turned out and then in terms of writing season two that one was much more planned my co-writer and uh, co-producer virginia spots came in uh, at the start of the second season and we spent quite a lot of time hammering out our structure and figuring out what's this part of the story going to be about how are we going to tell it how are we going to structure it You know, we had a full on, you know, episode by episode breakdown of how the whole thing was going to go before we started writing anything, which is something I definitely did not have for season one. (laughs) But we kind of needed it because we were two people working on the same story with our own ideas. And we had to have something to keep us kind of attached to that center line of the story. So that was really, really helpful. And a lot of changes were made between, you know, seasons two and one um, in terms of structure, you know, focusing more on the different characters and having a whole bunch of parallel plot lines that kind of slowly intertwine um, again, kind of not the same structure, but a similar idea in terms of starting out with kind of standalone stories that slowly coalesce into something bigger, which is really, that's, that's how I like to write stories. Honestly, I, I really do enjoy kind of weird structures and, you know, a feeling of things kind of slowly coming together and being pieced together from a whole bunch of things that, didn't seem to have any connections at the beginning. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of how the writing process went between the first two seasons. Hmm. And that's interesting. Cause like one thing that stood out to me when I was listening to the show was definitely the fact that it did kind of go back the monster of the week in the beginning. And then it sort of spiraled into like the monster is here and like, this is what's, hmm. and this is what's going on, but not even quite like a complete revelation. But I want to talk about something that I heard you mentioned. You said that you're only on season two. How many seasons do you have planned out for the show? It's planned for a four season run of, you know, exactly 100 episodes. I like sh- series that end on a neat round number. 
And that's kind of, yeah, that's how we're planning it. And we have kind of a very loose outline for seasons three and four that will bring us to the final, you know, series conclusion. But we're, so we're now at the halfway point, basically, in the story um, with episode 50. Okay. And I want to also talk about like two, two more things, three more things to deal with this. So first things first. The show sounds really good from the underscoring to like the actual recording of it. The editing is particularly, uh, particularly standout. Like what is the post-production process for this? How long does it take? What are the typical tools that you use for these things? Like what's that process like? Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause you know, I, I'm the you know editor on this show mm-hmm. um, and I do try to make it sound as professional as possible. Cause I'm a bit of a perfectionist. <laughs> um, so production wise, everyone is recording in their own homes uh, over a Zoom call when we can, so everyone's, you know, at least seeing and hearing one another, so we can act and react off one another and get kind of the best performances we can. Most of us are using fairly inexpensive USB microphones. Most of them are using uh, a Blue Snowball, which is kind of, I bought a whole bunch of those at the start of my production just because they were cheap, but they got good sound quality and, you know, we could get them to people easily. And then again, we record over Zoom as live, basically, um, to try and get, you know, connections between actors and characters as strong as we can in real time. Everyone kind of records independently on their end just to make sure we have the best audio quality we can get um, off everyone's machines. So then they send all those recordings in generally through uh, Google Drive or WeTransfer. Uh, I then assemble those recordings, sync them up, clean up any background noise, cut out the white, you know, kind of the empty space around their lines and get it all into kind of a sequence in uh, Adobe Audition, which is the main tool I use. I have a step that's either called the pre-edit or the sort, clean, and organize, which is just bringing everything together into a sequence that has all the different scenes and takes labeled so I can find them easily. Um, Everything is, you know, synchronized and lined up um, pretty close to what it will be in the final edit. And then I go through there, find the best takes, bring them into a final mix sequence uh, and generally build a kind of a mix that's just the dialogue and just the music just to kind of get the timing and the feel of it right. I take that, kind of listen to it on its own, uh, make any tweaks I need from there, then go into the um, soundscaping and kind of foley and sound design stage of it uh, and build up kind of the world behind that and any specific kind of action we need um, in the sound design to make the story work any supernatural elements, um, you know, building up from a library of sound effects that I've built over time through, you know, either buying stock sounds or packs of sounds off of things like Humble Bundle and things like that. Uh, Most of our sounds do come off of freesounds.org because there's a lot of great stuff on there. You know, you do have to sift through quite a lot of it, but, you know, that's where we've built up most of our sound effect library from. And then the music is composed by our, like I said, our absolutely incredible composer, Jesse Hagen. Uh, He basically does kind of a stock music approach for this series where he writes, you know, about in kind of blocks of about five to six different cues for different things that we need, um, usually kind of specific functional or emotional moments. Or, you know, for this series, we did uh, character specific cues I kind of go through there, take the bits of those um, cues that, you know, I need for specific scenes, lay them together, kind of sometimes splice and loop them to get around to make them, you know, work for the specific scenes. But yeah, that's kind of how we run our post-production process on the episodes. And it kind of has to take no more than a week because of how we've, you know, set up our schedule and usually how tight our turnarounds end up being. Yeah, that's, that's generally about the time frame. This season, at least, we were not recording and editing week by week we recorded in bigger blocks of about four to seven episodes each just getting it all done at once and then editing you know after the fact like we wrapped up recording for the final couple of episodes got about two months ago i think roughly speaking but keeping it in blocks and you know because of how we structured it because this season was you know a whole bunch of kind of these individual characters arcs we could record a whole bunch of episodes you know kind of all at the same time without burning out any one of our actors because you know they just kind of had to record their main episodes and then a couple of lines for a few other ones um Mm. so they only kind of had to you know record one maybe two episodes per block um, while we were getting you know four to six done at the same time in terms of getting recordings in the can so that seems like a very like time intensive and laborious process like it takes it takes a lot and again, like back to the other show that you, you're now working on, Tales of the Echo Wood, 
I just have a question, like how are you planning to sort of balance the amount of time it takes for uh, Sheridan tapes and presumably also for Echo Wood since, since they're created by the same team? You know, Echo Wood is kind of created specifically to fill the hiatus between seasons two and three, because we're going to be taking a, you know, a much longer break between seasons than we did um, between seasons one and two, just because our team really kind of needs it. We need a little bit more time to develop the story for season three, but we didn't want to go completely radio silent. And this was kind of an idea for a series I wanted to do for a while. But in order to make that possible, we've decided to kind of scale back the intensity of the production process. It's going to primarily be a one actor storyteller show with a few other voices coming in here and there, but a much simpler style, kind of much more kind of scaled back to what, you know, kind of the Sheridan tapes was at the beginning of season one, where it was a much simpler production while still kind of maintaining that level of, you know, production value and depth to the storytelling because it's scaled back to primarily one actor and we're doing a, you know, every other week release schedule instead of, you know, every single week that will make a lot of difference in terms of how heavy the workload is. At the same time, we'll, we'll be able to start work on the writing and kind of pre-production process for the Sharon Tape Season 3, you know, at a kind of a slower pace to start with. But as we kind of wrap things up for, you know, Tales of the Echo Wood, picking that up towards kind of the end of the year and getting started on our writing process again for, uh, you know, the next season. Mm. And could you just sort of talk to uh, me and the audience about what exactly Echo Wood is about? Yeah, so it's a storytelling fantasy anthology. It's set in the same universe as the Sheridan Tapes but in kind of this different pocket of it. And just so people are aware, um, that original podcast I, I've talked about, Homestead on the Corner, you know, it had a whole bunch of different stories that were all different genres and different styles, but it was all set in a shared universe, which is also shared with, you know, the Sheridan tapes. So there's this kind of strange interconnected world with all these different sides to it. And one side of it is from a story called Return to the Echo Wood, um, which is kind of a psychological fairy tale fantasy type uh story that we told in season one um that featured sam taylor as a character named grail who was kind of this immortal trickster fairy sprite type character who had basically with another character in the series created this strange fantasy kind of parallel world called the echo wood that was sort of a reflection of both of their minds and both of their kind of ideas there's, there's a lot in there that kind of comes into Tales of the Echo Wood, but now basically this is after that story. Grail is at this point kind of alone in the Echo Wood, living in this, you know, isolated inn kind of at the edge of the world. And this traveler from our world wanders into that inn, uh, very confused about where they are. Um, they've kind of just appeared in this fairy tale world and have no idea where they are and so grail takes it upon themselves to tell the stranger what they need to know about the echo wood in order to survive and figure it out and figure out why they're there and so it's kind of this mix again kind of a mix of you know a mystery behind what's going on in this world and uh an ongoing kind of you know fantastical story with all these different standalone narratives that you know slowly weave together again so um yeah, that's kind of what the series uh, is about. And I can't get into a whole lot without spoiling oh, things. Of course, but um, of course. It has a lot of very, very interesting elements that I'm super excited uh, to bring to life uh, on that one. And I'm just really excited about the crew we have for this one because it's uh, Sam Taylor, who plays Dr. Ren Park on the Sheridan tapes. Phenomenal actor, uh, amazing guy. And then uh, Jesse Hogan will be doing a much bigger and much more um, ambitious score for this one. I- I'm just really excited to kind of cut him loose on this series. Echo Wood has a 10, ep- correct me if I'm wrong, it has a 10 episode run, no? That's correct. Yeah. And currently planned as kind of a one, one off, one season kind of limited series type thing. Well, you sounded so excited describing it. Do you have any in- intentions of possibly expanding it in the future, especially since it takes place in the same world as the Sheridan tapes? I have thought about that. Um, Because of the way it will be structured, it's going to be kind of an anthology of anthologies. If that happens, it'll be, you know, the next season would be with a different storyteller and a different character in the Echo Wood. Um, but currently, you know, we're kind of holding back on that. It is one of our stretch goals. If we hit kind of our, you know, if we hit our highest level of funding, then we'll begin work on developing a second season. But right now I'm kind of treating it as this its own kind of standalone thing um, that could continue if, you know, we had a, a really compelling idea or if there was a high demand for it. But right now I'm kind of treating it as like its own story with a beginning, middle and end that will take place in those 10 episodes, which, you know, 
I, I love serialized storytelling, but I do also like shorter form things like that that are, you know, kind of self-encapsulated and, yeah, a little bit shorter runtime. All right. I'm going to go back to, like, Homestead on the corner as, like, a general thing because it's not just audio dramas. You're also a small press publishing company. And a book of yours, Selkie, is actually coming out August 1st, 2021, no? Well, uh, that was an initial plan at the beginning of the year, but then... Season two happened and it was much bigger and much more complicated than any of us anticipated. Even though we were expecting it to be difficult, I personally did not have time to work on that. You know, the first draft is still done. It's still sitting there. Um, And I did some like initial work for like how I would going to restructure it for that publishing draft. But unless I get a whole lot more time um, somehow in the next couple of months, it's probably not going to end up coming out this year. Uh, We haven't announced officially that that's, you know, kind of been canceled or postponed but that was yeah kind of a plan for the beginning of the year um that kind of had to be kind of pushed to the back burner because of um everything else we were working on that there, we had a very we had a very ambitious plan at the start of the year and then life happened um as it tends to oh well um, then that brings so. up with just a general question like how do you deal with those changes because uh, i also am, a, am an ambitious ambitious person as well and i know sometimes like navigating changes can be kind of difficult. So like, how do you go about navigating changes in the larger plan of your production company? Yeah, that's, it's difficult for me um, to kind of let things go. It's definitely getting easier um, just because I've kind of realized as I'm, you know, I'm still not terribly old, but I am definitely older than I was. Um, My body will tell me much, much sooner than it did before when I'm pushing myself to the point of, you know, burnout and trying to be too many things to too many people. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten a little bit easier to say now, okay, I need to, you know, I've, I've, you know, worked through these things. A lot of this came from, you know, Virginia's encouragement and kind of, you know, helping me through these things. because so she's, you know, been through all of these same cycles that I have, that these are deadlines you've kind of, and goals you've kind of set for yourself. It's okay if you have to step back from them for a little bit in order to focus on something better or more important. Um, and, you know, still putting in the work, still doing the things you've said you will do, um, you know, the important parts, the big things, making sure you're doing those well. But it's kind of been the realization that if I try and push for, you know, trying to do 10 things in a year, I can only give each of those, you know, 10% of my, you know, energy at most um, without, you know, the others suffering. So kind of learning to scale back my ambition a little bit, but still making sure I'm, you know, I'm doing good work. I am making sure what needs to be done is done and making sure I'm actually able to enjoy what I'm doing has been kind of the way I've been able to balance some of those things that would have really disappointed and kind of thrown me for a loop in the past. Okay. All right. Uh, Oh, I had a one more question I just wanted to ask you because it was uh, it's a bit of a milestone. So in June of 2021, the Sheridan tapes reached half a million downloads and I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's a lot of people. <laughs> that's so many people. <laughs> and especially since you guys launched in like April of 2020, like that's so many people. And I wanted to ask you, uh, what is, what does that milestone mean to you? And does it at all affect like how you come at your, how you come at your work? Um, yeah, I mean, it obviously means a lot to me. Um, like a lot of creative writing people, um, I've spent a long time working on projects that I, you know, poured my heart and soul into, um, and had about three people read, knowing that there th- there's an audience that's this big and this excited and this passionate about the story I'm telling. That is a huge encouragement. That you know, with how much work you put into things like this, and how frustrating and aggravating it can be at times, it- it's easy to think like, am I actually doing the right thing? Is this even worth the trouble of doing it? You know, is is it worth all these long hours I'm putting in? But you know, knowing that there are these many people who are excitedly waiting for the next chapter, who, you know, love the series, love the characters, love the work that we do. Um, that's just really encouraged me to push past, you know, points where I might have otherwise, you know, been like, this is getting too hard. I'm going to just move on to the next project. So it does, it it means the world to me that there, you know, that, you know, there have been half a million listens to this show over, you know, the course of basically a year and a half. And, you know, our amazing audience and all the people who do fan art and fan fiction and just expand this world and share in the story we're telling um, that absolutely. I, I never, I always hoped I would tell a story like this, but it's, yeah, it's absolutely 
mind-boggling to think that that many people <laughs> you know enjoy what we do and that really encourages us to you know put in the time it takes to get this right and to you know make sure we're telling the right story and producing it in the right way and yeah just putting in our best um you know day by day mm. and like like you mentioned like the the Sheridan Tapes fandom has fan fiction and fan art and they're really engaged and they take the extra step of like being a patron and and they'd like um they're really again like they're really engaged and excited about your show and your team's work so I want to know like what kind of marketing did you do uh to get the show to get the show out there like that that's the really weird thing basically none we didn't have an advertising budget we don't have anyone on our team who's really experienced in the advertising field the extent of the advertising I did was basically through my own personal social media channels, just spamming out, hey, this is the show we're making. You know, you should come and listen to it. I swear it's good. Come on, listen to this, please. Which is what I've always been doing for my books and for my other projects and have met with middling success because, you know, my social circle is not the biggest. Um, mm-hmm. But really the way it grew in the end was just really organic, just through you know, people kind of stumbling onto the show by themselves, getting excited about it, sharing it with someone else who, you know, listens to it and gets excited and, you know, maybe draws a piece of fan art and, you know, gets people like, ooh, that looks interesting. What's this show about? And then they listen and then it just keeps growing and growing like that. And that's really been, we've, we've honestly been able to see that kind of growth happening in real time on Twitter as kind of, you know, our, our super fans, you know, the ones who are, you know, the most passionate about this show. We see them like sharing it out and other people kind of being like, should I give this a listen or like, okay, fine. You convinced me. And then, you know, a week later they've listened to the entire thing and they're like, Oh my God, when's the next episode coming out? I I want, I'm joining the Patreon. So that's really been how it's grown. And I am, that's the thing I'm probably most proud of is that the story didn't grow because we had a listers in our cast um, or because we, you know, paid, you know, a million dollars to put ourselves on the side of a billboard. It just grew because, people like the story we're telling and enough to tell other people about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it has this draw to it that is really compelling to, you know, people who like audio fiction and who like horror and who like mystery. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm really proud of how it's kind of grown that way without, you know, necessarily being directly advertised or, you know, having a marketing strategy as such beyond just tell the best story we can. Um which is super encouraging um, to me, at least as a writer, that what I came up with as a way to basically get us through the pandemic and tell, you know, still telling stories has grown to this level kind of just on its own strength um, and through the passion of the people who listen to it. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of winding down. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way to like transition. So we're kind of winding down our interview. Uh, but before we get to the very, very last question, I did want to ask, uh, what podcast are you listening to right now that like really excite you and, and that you're really into? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to a lot of horror podcasts, obviously, cause you know, that's a genre I really love and what, you know, what I write a lot of the times, uh, the ones that are most exciting to me right now are, uh, the white vault, which is heading into its last season. Um, believe later this year and then um old gods of appalachia which also just wrapped up its second season um absolutely stunning anthology series um what else am i listening to i mean obviously in terms of horror the magnus archives um was a huge inspiration for the sheridan tapes um but that's you know wrapped up i'm I'm going through my list of podcasts now to remember because i listened to quite a few Uh (laughs) oh uh apocalypse songs um it's a really short like five episode mini series um from you know, one of the team members is uh, James Kane, who voiced Peter Slate in our series. Um, absolutely stunning little series. Um, I definitely recommend you check out uh, Wooden Overcoats for something completely different. Absolutely love that show. You know, and then obviously, like I mentioned before, The Bridge, Wolf 359. Um, yeah, those are some of the, you know, the big ones that really inspire me and that I really enjoy listening to over and over again, just for inspiration and just for a good story, you know. All right. I, I will add them to the list. You said Wooden Overcoats and Apocalypse Songs. Those were those last, last two, right? 
Yes, yes. All right. To the list they go. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is the last question. We've come to the official end of the interview. And I mean, like, Trevor, you're, like, you're doing really, again, like, this podcast of yours, The Sheridan Tape, started in uh, April of 2020. It's been a year and some change. You, you've just finished season two. You're working on season three. You have like a spinoff series coming out. Uh, your production company is doing really cool stuff. It's almost self-sufficient, which is a really big deal. Like you're clearly on your way to success, on your way to greatness, just on your way to like just prosperity in general. So I just want to know, how will you know when you've made it? Uh, I think the big mark for right now is when what, you know, what the show makes can A, pay everyone involved um, and B, cover my own, you know, cost of living. Um, I can do this as a, you know, even though I'm putting the hours of a full-time job in, I'll kind of know I've made it when I'm actually making enough to just make a living off of writing and creative production and the stuff we do with Homestead on the Corner, which we're getting, I don't, I don't want to say we're getting close, but we're getting there slowly and, um, yeah, that's kind of the mark where I know that this is something I can continue to do long term. It's just the reality of, you know, a lot of podcasting production is done on, you know, people's own dime. It's done in free time and, you know, kind of as a hobby. But, you know, when it requires this much time to and, you know, energy and, you know, work to do, I think when it actually starts paying like a real job is you know, I, and I, I don't want to say real job is in, you know, dismissive of all the amazing work that people do. I want to say that it's in terms of just from a practical point of view, mm-hmm. I can make a living off of doing this. That's the point where you'd be like, yes, okay, I've made it. This is something I can keep doing because I want to keep doing stuff like this the rest of my life. Um, this is what I love to do, what I've always wanted to be doing. Um, and when it reaches that point, that's, I think, when it will feel like, yeah, we've made it. Mm. All right. Sustainability is a very worthy goal. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> so, so can you tell the people where they can view and your work? Yep. Um, for myself, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Trevor underscore VW. Um, the Sheridan Tapes is uh, at Sheridan Tapes on Twitter and at the Sheridan Tapes on Instagram. Uh, you can find all of our social media links and all of our shows at homesteadonthecorner.com. Uh, and also at thesheridantapes.com is where you can find stuff specifically for the Sheridan Tapes. Um, besides that, you can find uh, Homestead on the Corner, the Sheridan Tapes, and Tales of the Echo Wood on all podcasting platforms wherever you listen to your stuff. And um, yeah, I think that's that's about it. You have just finished listening to the season premiere of On Their Way Season 3. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Marco Cori. If you'd like to help us continue to make podcasts that you like, you can support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. In addition to helping us out, you'd also gain early access to episodes and exclusive content, so that's a win-win in my book. You can find the link at our website, wgcproductions.com. You can also show us some love by following us at WithGoodCo on Twitter and Instagram and telling your friends about us. Next week, our guest is John Evans, who is the creator of the stellar Welsh post-apocalyptic cozy murder mystery series, Gather the Suspects. So tune in for that. As always, I appreciate you for listening, and please take care of yourselves and each other.